HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide. And two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet, currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed onto this plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants. Hey, everyone. This is Sari Kamen, the Public Programs Manager of MOFAD, back for our online video series, At the Table. Uh, Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Chilton. She is the founder of Oyster Sunday, based in New Orleans. So hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, So why don't you start off just by telling us, you know, who you are, what Oyster Sunday is, and why you started it. Sure. Um, Oyster Sunday uh, stands for operating system. We're based, um, we're actually, our team's fully remote. We're based between New Orleans and New York, um, primarily, and, but we do business around the country. And we are a corporate office for independent restaurants. If you imagine the beauty of having a restaurant group and has corporate office that has accounting and finance and marketing and branding and operations that give you this 30,000 foot view, we're providing that um, building that out first and providing it for independents to provide them services and economy of scale that would be um, mostly unobtainable by an independent. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit through, you know, the kinds of things that you were doing before we sort of enter this moment of um, pandemic and how things have changed for you and what your your main focuses are now as a company? Yeah, definitely. So we were working with restaurants around the U.S. to really identify, I mean, everything from point of sale through payroll solutions on technology and really thinking through what does the tech stack look like? And this is before um, the pandemic, but we were thinking about what does tech look like? How do you eliminate redundancies? And and then thinking through the operation side as well as trying to help people open, um, really focusing in the fall for that. Since obviously about two weeks ago, we started pivoting our attention to really taking the resources and the community that we have and providing all the services in kind and fully pro bono for restaurants in need. I think the one thing that we've 
I mean, we all really felt over the last two weeks is that they, there's so much information out there and to find the resources that you need in the midst of everything evolving so quickly, it becomes difficult. So we create a website or a landing page on our website to address those questions. And then we are taking any and all questions from independent operators to address everything from HR compliance and thinking about termination and layoffs, um, thinking about where, how do you reopen? How do you pivot to delivery? Which I think we'll touch on a little bit. Um, but those are things that we are, we're doing currently. Yeah. What are the, what are the main ones you're hearing over and over again from restaurant operators? Definitely. So at the beginning, it was definitely talking a lot about um, HR and compliance and thinking through retention of staff. How do we, how do we best and gracefully close our doors um, as equitably as we can and helping people navigate that was very difficult in all different scales from one brick and mortar to people who have several and trying to think through where are they involved with the Warren Act? What is, how do they abide by these federal mandates? Um, so thinking through those processes. And I think right now we're kind of taking this turn of thinking through now that we've talked about how to deal, how to manage and best operate on the personnel side is now thinking through cash flow and how do we really deal with cash restrictions and cash constraints um, when we're thinking about closures for several weeks and where can we get things like rent abatement and things like um, can you renegotiate vendor terms and software, you know, software monthly fees to start to like think about the cash flow to the best you can to survive for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I want the bulk of this conversation to kind of focus on the technology aspect, but just to what you touched upon before, how much do you find yourself having to kind of like navigate and interpret policy as it relates to um, restaurant operators right now? A lot. <laughs> We're thankful that we've um, had several people in both legal counsel and in HR side that have offered their services that are taking questions for things that we can't answer or don't have answers for. Because um, everything is also is evolving so quickly that it's really hard to know where things stand. Um, we're being very active and proactive about not only digesting the news that's coming out on a daily basis, but also participating in community advocacy to really be abreast of things that are going on. Um, so we're just keeping our ear to the ground the best of our ability. And if we feel like we can't answer the question, we find it. Mm -hmm. Um, so the reason I kind of initially reached out to you is because, um, you know, when this whole crisis started and all the restaurants shut, started to shut down, but a lot of them were still operating, um, just as, you know, in terms of like their delivery platforms and takeout, I started to think about all the restaurants um, who would need support and assistance kind of transitioning over to more of like just a digital infrastructure. Um, and we're probably out there looking for, for people to help them because I think it's a whole new world probably for a lot of restaurants. Um, and then when I met you, I realized there was so much more to think about other than just like, how do I shift my restaurant to a delivery system? So what are the, what are the different ways that tech has become integrated in kind of like our understanding of how restaurants are operating right now? And like, how, how did you see tech transform in the restaurant industry like in the last, you know, even five to 10 years up to this point? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's changed drastically. Um, I think everything from doing cloud-based POS systems to having integration that a lot more of these tech stacks are talking to one another and they're playing better in the sandbox with each other and integrating, I think is a really big benefit to the industry. And I think it's made technology more progressive over the course of the last five to 10 years. Um, I think that a concept like Oyster Sunday would be very difficult if it weren't in-house, if things like cloud systems didn't exist, um, but it gives us the ability of being remote. Um, so I think on that side, on the operation side, I think tech has totally 
change the game. Um, and I think things like Food and Tech Connect and Tech Table Summit have really addressed those questions over the course of the last couple of years. And in terms of really when it came to like now, like a week and a half, two weeks ago of saying, okay, now what do we do to pivot? Um, I think because of things like delivery and not having to call in reservations and being able to have these platforms that you have, not only have a customer base and understanding who you're talking to, you're also able then to receive payment online and to kind of pivot that service. I mean, first off, you have to look at what services you're providing. If you're a full sit down meal, you really have to adjust your menu. And then you have to think about how that tech stack enables you to sell for more like on a remote standard. Um, but I think also when we're having issues with contact, it allows us to create a barrier that really, um, so we're looking for really in, like enables us to be able to, to some operators to continue to, to operate to the best of their ability and to safely as possible. Like cashless payment. Exactly. The cashless payment. And then the, I think the mention of the option, you know, things like top that we had talked about before and thinking about delivery services that we could be paid online. Um, I think those that are really enabling restaurants to, to function safely to the best of their ability. And I think those operators are not only sending out emails about that they're open and serving, but they're also sending emails that include things like why they're being safe and how, which I think that transparency to not only to their staff, but to their customer base, I think is really valuable. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, from your point of view, how many restaurants, not, I don't know, not the number, but like, I don't know, percentage maybe, how many restaurants do you see that are kind of pivoting towards these, um, you know, tech, tech systems and using them to continue operate versus restaurant groups that are just saying, you know, this, we don't have solutions. Like the only option is to kind of just shut down. I think um, I would have a hard time putting a percentage to it, but I would say it also depends on city by city. Um, I'm current right now in New Orleans and there's very few operators that are serving and those who are, they're finding each other to make sure they're spreading the word together that they are serving safely. Um, I think some cities are closing down quicker than others. Um, I think it is smart um, to really make the judgment call that's best for your staff um, to, I think that's first and foremost. I mean, obviously safety's first and not, and trying to control this as a society is really important. And I think that if you can have a staff that can continue to employ people safely and then to serve, um, I think there's a judgment called the operator, but I think fewer and fewer people are going that way. I've seen some people come back and kind of come back and circle around to reopening on that. Um, but I think people are trying to find solutions such as more of a market-like style doing, again, delivery and things of that nature to address it. Yeah. Um, how do you see social media being an essential, you know, part of the communications that are happening right now? I mean, I have been unbelievably impressed by what's going on in social. Um, and I think it's for a couple reasons. I mean, I think the communication and avenues it provides to talk to a, they're again, kind of go back to the customer base and um, what you're serving. It's a really great avenue to really put that out to market and let people know what you are doing quickly. Um, and I think that it also, it's been such an unbelievable place for advocacy, which I've been noticing and people have this kind of, we're really, I mean, the impact of the coronavirus onto our industry is just continues to evolve and the numbers are like staggering. Um, and I think that um, if you look up Roar um, online, it's coming out of the New York area, but it's very much nationally focused. It's doing a really great job, not only talking about saving the industry, but talking about like, really providing solid facts and numbers around it. Um, so I think that 
social has allowed us to like not only to like advocate and to think through how to what resources are available, who do we need to talk to to like to really think about who, who has the policy, who's doing policy, and how do we get that out there, and then also where people and people who've been um, are no longer in work, unemployed, have access to resources. Um, and getting that information out there. I think social has been the front runner of that. And people are constantly dovetailing in different conversations into that. Yeah. Um, what are the real weak points that you think have been identified at this point? Um, I'll do, yeah. Um, I'll do, I guess, one thing in particular is that I think there's been, there was kind of a funnel that's coming through or people are trying to push through that was, you have all these purveyors that have a lot of food and you have restaurants that are closing. And now we have the surplus that are operators, particularly in wholesale that are mostly focused on restaurants. And I think the ability to pivot that food elsewhere has been, I mean, seeing it firsthand has been very difficult. There's everything from, you know, um, hospitals need, there's a lot of different ways in which to channel that excess, in quotes, excess food. Um, and I think that's been really hard to watch because, for, I mean, we've been in touch here in New Orleans with the, um, the medical center here that are like slammed and they're pivoting, excuse me, pivoting, but they're, they're adjusting a lot of even their labor and where it's going. Um, so I think that that's been a really big one that's like very palpable. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you involved in that? Are you, are you helping to sort of direct that stream? Yeah, there's an organization here called the New Orleans Food and Beverage. Um, and they, it's a cohort of different CPG companies and beverage companies that have come together. And it was meant to be an organization much more for figuring out who's out there and thinking through co-packing and really just being resourced for one another. But it has really turned into uh, a course of last week. Of, there's a huge email chain of hearing where the spreadsheets as well of hearing where who needs food and where food is excess and who's willing to donate. So it's become a really great hub. Um, there's also, I mean, I think also New Orleans is very and interesting because we went through Katrina, which is obviously in a very different scope and very much local. But I think that the one thing we're seeing things like the crew to red bean, which is a red green and rice themed crew for Mardi Gras has now put a fund up that is getting cash money to then buy food from restaurants and getting musicians to curry it over to hospitals. So you're seeing this Venn diagram of people that are out of work and in need and those who want to donate. And I think things like that came out of a really creative time when in New Orleans when it was really desperate and a lot of people sacrificed a little to none of us had to sacrifice as much. Um, so I think that's pretty unique to here. And it's obviously it's happening everywhere, but I think they set, um, it's just really great to see things like that happening. And it's through tech that makes those things viable to be able to Venmo money and to be able to, you know, do GoFundMe campaigns to have the ability of paying your staff cash flow in and being able to then mandate that, you know, to people that are in need and all these relief funds. I mean, that is, having found all this within two weeks is unbelievable. And I think tech has completely enabled that for us. Mm -hmm. Do you think in some ways New Orleans was better prepared for this moment because you've already been through Hurricane Katrina? I don't know if it's prepared. I think it's, um, I think that coming at it from a different vantage point, um, I think for sure, I think we've had these systems, some systems in place. Um, this is an unbelievable, this is different because we, everyone feels the pressure that unlike Katrina, it was the, the ability of it was a very isolated part, but we know the whole city was empty for two months. So it felt when I go on a run down the French quarter right now, I mean, it looks like it's a hurricane came, like everything's boarded up and there's no one on the streets. 
Um, so I think that is that feels eerie in the same way, but in terms of the way things are being, um, I think it's very creative. I think that we've learned a lot um, in 2005 and I think there's things that can be addressed and applied here, um, but this is just such a different scale that it's, um, it's even hard to, even hard to know like where all those, <laughs> where all those junctures are meeting at this point. Yeah. Are you hearing from any restaurants that are, um, you know, just more comfortable operating in a more analog way that are having a lot of difficulties, you know, to use your word, like pivoting over right now? Yeah, I mean, I think if those systems aren't in place, getting, setting it up now when there's no cash flow and be really difficult. Um, I haven't talked to anyone particularly that's been very analog. I mean, inevitably there are, and there's, I'm sure there's a lot of operators that have been working. I mean, we have restaurants here that are over hundred years old that I imagine some of those, such as inventory and thinking through all that is probably pretty analog. Mm-hmm. And I would be interested to see how, what the prioritization of technology will be going forward. And as restaurants continue to think about not only from a labor side of efficiency and where, where, how do we, how do we become, how do the margin shift? Um, but also how, how do we create less redundancy um, and labor? I think it's going to be really big. Yeah. And also style. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of changes do you think that the restaurant industry needs to make sort of collectively as a whole um, systems that, you know, have to transition because there's so many weak points that are being identified in this moment that are necessary in order to, you know, just make the restaurant industry less vulnerable going forward. And I mean, I don't even know where to start on that. (laughs) I think there's, I mean, my first thing, my first instinct and heart goes out to like so many people that have been laid off in the course of these two weeks and it's just heartbreaking and the resources. And I mean, again, I, I, I would, direct people's attention back to Roar um, online. And I think they've done a really exceptional job of putting stats and information to a lot of these issues. I mean, I think a lot of conversation about bailouts circulating, I think all these micro funds are remarkable, but I think at the end of the day, and it's going to help a lot of operators, but I think there's so many operators going to be left in the dust and that maybe don't have, again, the tech savvy or the ability of getting those things up and running fast enough. And I think they'll be left behind. And I think that until we can figure out a way, either it's city, state, nationally, to really think through how do we take these take these funds um, and really concretely put them together and make them much more of a national pool. And I think some funds have done a great job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, RWCF has done a great job and James Beard Foundation has stepped into the game. And I think that those are going to make a big impact, but it's this really delicate balance of how do we have national funds, but how do we also address local issues when those funds maybe don't have the ear to the ground isn't the same. And I think that we, we have to find some balance, but I think really kind of thinking through like what city fund and state funds look like um, or how those national funds are being allocated to very specific local institutions will be um, more valuable than ever. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious because in new Orleans, there's so many, you know, small kind of family operated um, restaurants that, you know, probably have never, you know, been on Instagram or use social media. And a lot of these are sort of like, you know, racial and class divides as well, you know, especially in a city like New Orleans. Um, how are you thinking about, you know, those kinds of restaurants that like don't have social media accounts and are you able to get to them in any way? Or are there any sort of like operations on the ground to try and access those who would, you know, otherwise not be able to find you probably? 
Yeah, so we've done, uh, we've definitely tried to reach out to a bunch of different organizations. There's actually this really amazing group of independent or in, individuals who have come together to really do on an advocacy and policy side of advocating on behalf of not only not only restaurants and hospitality, but like night workers broadly. So that's any gig economy. So we're thinking musicians, we're thinking nightlife, even, even there's, a, I mean, let's say Bourbon Street exists here and there's a whole nother community of like dancers and things like that and strippers that are on there that are also left behind and it's economy here and yeah. so we think about I mean, every every element of it and yeah. there's a lot of people that have gotten together who are advocating on different elements of that point so we've gotten and said we're a resource here's our website please feel free to send it around to everyone so we're not thinking just about hospitality we're thinking about right. as broad as we can because musicians are also potentially working in independent restaurants and we're just trying to figure out different avenues to get to them. Thing is trying to find that Venn diagram as best we can. Yeah. Um, so what, so what next, what, what are the next steps or, and, and what do you see, what changes do you see being made or what are things going to look like when we are on the other side of this? Well, I first off hope that, you know, we, we do find a solution for funding um, and figuring out some sort of, I mean, I have no idea what it's going to look like. I know a lot of, Brilliant people are both trying to put it together and trying to advocate and lobby for it. So I'm hoping that we get answers sooner than later so people can start making decisions, not just in the immediate standpoint of like, and then, and then the next phase, once we have an understanding of like timeline, funding available, then we start thinking about what does it look like if you can, and luckily if you can um, open doors, what do things like customer, or what do things like employee retention look like? How do you, how do you get benefits running quicker? Like what are those next steps would be the phase two, in my opinion. And then after that is thinking through when you're looking at the stranger operations, like how do we break that down and start over in the best we can? Um, and those are opening, right? Opening restaurants, if you're looking specifically at that. And then in terms of food broadly, I mean, this is going to change the game in terms of labor. It's going to change the game in terms of how food's delivered. Um, we've always heard things about, the technology and the technology in like 10 years about bots and things like that. I mean, I think we're talking about crises and we need to be thinking about access with limit of contact. So I'm wondering if those won't be pushed for, for forward faster. Um, and then I kind of harp back on supply chain. I mean, I really think that all food, there's so many people in the food besides hospitals. I mean, even not to mention Things like, you know, City Harvest and Second Harvest and um, Rethink Food. I mean, people are just constantly trying to think about those who are now unemployed um, and are in need of access and getting food to them. And I think that we have to figure out a better way of thinking through our supply chain and when we need to pivot and diversifying that, um, as well as thinking through how do we track, how do we continue to track food in the future? Um, so I think that's going to be really, really valuable, really valuable and very important. Yeah. Um, is there, is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we wrap up today? Um, I mean, I will just say like, you know, I think that the, the internet has given us so much opportunity to not only connect and I've been like, so, I mean, even seeing people doing group chats and happy hours with people. And I know that as much as distance has made us, I couldn't imagine this happening 15 years ago um, without having accessibility. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a complete game changer, and I think that um, it's one silver lining if we want to find one in the midst of all this. Um, and I think that we just need to, as an, as a, I mean, I think hospitality has always been a little redundant, a little um, hesitant to really deploy a lot of tech in their 
businesses. And I think that it's now is a good time to consider not, not all tech. I think there's, there are again to reduce redundancy and you only should do the tech that you need. But I think we need to start thinking through what that, what that looks like on a max schedule level and um, really think about fitting that to the right operator. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and again, I know you said this at the beginning, but your company is offering in-kind donations to any restaurant business owner that could use your resources right now. We're doing full pro bono. Um, it's any calls, no questions too small or too big. Um, we have, again, lawyers that are managing abatement and only thinking through certain things. We have HR professionals who are managing questions about all types of different op- options. We have CFOs who are willing to redo budgets and forecasting. We have everything. So please, we'll try to find an answer, even if it's not with us. We are working with 25 independent freelancers that are either with our team or have now donated their time. So please, like, we really mean that it's completely, completely in kind. Um, and tell us where to find you. Oh, yes, that's all. Um, you can either contact, at, contact us at hello at oystersunday.com um, or our website is oystersunday.com, conveniently enough. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Um, I'm thank so you. admiring of the incredible work you and your team are doing right now. So thank you. And thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay. Thank you. Stay safe. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.